If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read the first 11 verses of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. If, then, you were raised with Christ, seek those things above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew circumcised nor uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian slave or free but Christ is all and in all Let's pray as we look at God's word. <clears throat> Father, your word comes to us through the Spirit who is the author of the book. And we pray we may sense his presence, that he might speak to us and teach us the things that are here. You have promised that he would come and he would teach us those things which Christ has taught and he would glorify Christ. And so it's our heart's desire and prayer that as we look at these issues today, Christ may be glorified and we might be taught the things that are necessary for our walk and for our closeness to you. Thank you for your presence and help and your teaching as we share together today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> We're going to start at verse 8. Let me just remind you, we looked at the first three commands. First, and I think as I've said, the first two commands are vital and important for our obedience if we're going to go any further into our growth in the Christian life. 
But I think this first command is probably the most important for us. And uh, we looked at it. Find fellowship with Christ. Find fellowship with Christ. And I think that's vital and important. He says, because you have been raised together with Christ. Keep on seeking those things where Christ exists. In other words, our, our job is to be focused where Christ is. And then he tells us that Christ has been seated and accepted the seat at the right hand of God. And therefore, he sits there as our great mediator, as the one who speaks on our behalf. And he sits eternally as the great God-man. He is always there as the lamb that was slain. And we will eternally see him there that we might worship him for what he has done. And I think it's important for us as believers to look for that today and seek to worship him as much as we can through the understanding of who he is and what he has done and what he has accomplished because of who he is. And uh, this, is, this is a great thing. And then we looked at the second command, fix your focus properly. And uh, we found that in verses uh, uh, 2 through 4. And again, we, we have to live as people who just need to live. How does that sound? We have to live as people who just need to live. You know, one of the great dangers we find in our Christian life is we get so focused on living down here and accumulating things and getting hold of things and getting things bigger and better and so on that we miss the fact that we are to focus on things above, things that are eternal. The things that are on earth, they're going to go away. They're going to be finished and gone. And as much as we need to be in this world, we don't want to be of this world. And so he says, fix your focus on things above. Why? Because we are pilgrims here. We're just passing through. We're not, you know, <laughs> I was thinking about this last night. I'm really not a Canadian citizen. I just happen to live in this country, but my citizenship is in heaven. That, that's where I'm going. So I'm just passing through, and, you know, I'm glad they let me stay in this country. It's been a good deal. But uh, uh, it's, um, it's something that is just temporary. It is temporary. Uh, there's there's a, a hymn that goes with Psalm 146, and uh, it says, Put no confidence in princes, nor for help on man depend. He will die to dust returning, and his purposes shall end. Doesn't matter who it is whether you're the head of Korea or head of the United States or your name is Trudeau, your purposes are going to end. They're going to get finished. 
but the purposes of our God, the eternal, goes on forever and ever. And God, God is eternal and his purposes are eternal. And so we're living for the eternal. Then we looked at the third command last week. Flee former sins. Flee former sins. Uh, when we come to Christ, you see, one of the great things we're supposed to, is supposed to happen to us. Notice I said supposed to happen to us. Is we're supposed to leave behind everything that was in our lives that made us by nature children of wrath. And, and he talks about that if you look at that in uh, verse 7. He says, in which you yourselves walked when you lived, past tense, in them. When you lived in them. You don't live in them anymore, so get away. How often, how often Paul talks even writing to Timothy and he says Timothy flee youthful lusts run get away but run after righteousness run after righteousness and so we looked at those commands and I think they're very vital to us now we're going to look at the fourth command which is in verse 8 it says but now you yourselves uh, you yourselves are to put off these anger wrath malice blasphemy filthy language out of your mouth and I have called this forsake the following forsake the following and he gives us here a list and it's very interesting the uh, word but there is uh, what they call in the Greek an adversative and uh, you could translate it probably better. To the contrary. To the contrary. Uh, to the contrary of all those sins that you used to live in. He says you have to do something else. You have to do something else. To the contrary. And we are people who are, have died and are living in Christ. And so we got to operate different than we used to operate before. And he says... Just now. Let me point out that the word now in the original is what they call an emphatic pronoun. And you could translate it right now. Right now. Don't wait. Do it right now. It's very emphatic. And he wants us to do what he says right now. Don't leave it. Get down to it. Get to work and get it done. He says... What we should do is we should renounce, renounce uh, the uh, past life, the past habits, the old man. And uh, that word renounce uh, pictures what Paul's talking about all the way through here, and we'll see it again. And he, he is telling us that we should take off the old filthy rags that we used to live in and put on the new garments of Jesus Christ and we'll see as we look at this that's exactly what he's talking about I don't know about you but when I get a pair of shoes broken in I, I just I don't like to get rid of them anymore I just like to keep wearing them they're falling apart and the soles are falling off and they, but I like to keep them and but they're filthy and smelly and 
you, you know, and what he's saying, get rid of that old filthy, smelly life you used to have and put on the clean garments of Jesus Christ and who he is. And so we'll see that. So that's, that's our command here, the first command. Right now, right now, renounce all these things. Don't wait. Do it right now. And uh, uh, he's saying, get yourself cleaned up. Get yourself cleaned up. Get rid of your old habits. And he gives us a list of things here, which is very interesting. If you look at them in the original, they're actually in two categories. The first three words are what I call mental madness. I'm not talking about being crazy mad, but mad angry. Uh, in that sense, using the word mad as angry. And n notice, notice what he says here. And there are three words. Anger, wrath, and malice. Anger, wrath, and malice. And uh, these three uh, deal with our mental attitudes. Our mental attitudes. That's why I call it mental madness. Uh, Anger, in, in the word that's used for anger here, is a state of mind, uh, a vengeful attitude. Don't have a f vengeful attitude in your mind. You know, uh, you feel somebody has cheated you, and you say inside, I'm going to get even with that guy. You know, that's a vengeful attitude. And what does God say? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And then we, I don't know about you, maybe you're different than I am, but sometimes somebody does something like that and inside you're churning up and you're churning up and you're churning up and you're churning up and you're churning up so bad that you can't even sleep at night figuring out how you're going to do what you're never going to do anyway. You see, and, and, and that's what that word here, anger, has the idea of. It's, it's a mental attitude that is in you that is uh, eating you. You know, uh, there's the old saying in English, it's not what you eat that's troubling you, it's w what's eating you that's troubling you. And, and we have to be careful of that as believers. And then <clears throat> he goes on here and he uses the word wrath. Wrath. And wrath is an interesting word because it means a violent mental reaction against somebody. Have you ever, have you ever had somebody do something that really bothers you and say, I like to slug them in the beak, you know, inside. You don't say that outside, but inside you say that. That's, that's what this word, that's what this word is, is, is talking about. Having an internal mental attitude where you're going to let them have it. If, if, boy, if I had a chance, I'd just wipe them out, you know. I'd just wipe them out. And uh, uh, he says, uh, uh, what you got to do what you got to do is get rid of that. You got to get rid of that. You got to get rid of that kind of thing. And then malice. And malice is 
uh, is wicked or evil habits of the mind. So those three words deal with something that's going on inside that is eating away at you because of something that happened. And uh, it's, it's something that's very easy to happen, you know. Oh, what's wrong with this crazy government? Why do I have to wear a mask all the time? You know, and it gets eating away at you. And, you know, uh, we, we sometimes don't say those things out loud. But uh, uh, when you walk into the grocery store, and <laughs> like I walked into the store the other day and never even thought I never had my mask on. They said, sorry, but you got to have your mask on. Whoops. <laughs> How do you feel inside? How do you respond? You see? And that's what this is talking about. That's mental madness. You're mad in your mind. You're angry in your mind. Someone has made the statement, it's not what you think you are, you are, but it's what you think you are. You see, what you think in your mind really is what makes your character. And I think that that is important. Our mind ultimately controls what we do. What we do. And it, it, if you look at Proverbs chapter 23, verses 6 and 7, Proverbs chapter 23, verses 6 and 7, it says... Eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. You see, what you think you are. So he, as he thinketh in his heart. By the way, the, the word in the Hebrew for heart there is the inner being, his thoughts, his uh, emotions, whatever he's doing. He says, that's what he is. And eat and drink, says he to you, but in his heart is not with you. In other words, he puts a nice plate on the table for you and says, enjoy yourself. And inside says, I hope he chokes to death. <laughs> you know, you know uh, uh, that, that's exactly what, what is going on. And we have to be careful of those kind of attitudes. You see, and so it, uh, it is something we, as believers, have to take off those old filthy rags. You see, get rid of them and those ways of thinking and those habits that we form in our lives. And it's vital and important. How do we do that? How do we do that as believers? Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. Have the mind of Christ. If we have the mind of Christ, we will think like Christ. And uh, let me just encourage you that all of this is a process that goes on in our Christian life. It doesn't happen yesterday. It's an ongoing process 
that we have to keep working on. Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Be not conformed to this world. That is, don't be pressed into the mold of this world, but be ye transformed. That word transformed uh, is the word which we get our English word metamorphized. Be metamorphized, be changed gradually into something different. How does that happen? He says, by the renewing or through the renewing of your mind. That word renewing there is interesting because it means to renew qualitatively. Have a new quality of mind. Have a new quality of mind. Uh, that Why? In order that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We will never know what God wants if we do not have a renewed mind. So the more the Holy Spirit works in the renewing of my mind, the more I will know and understand the will of God, and the more I will grow in grace, and the more I will grow in obedience. You see, this, this is one of the great things of the Christian life. And uh, we, we do that. And then another aid is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 5. And we all know this chapter. It's the great chapter of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5. And Pastor Tony in a couple, three or four or ten months will be preaching on this. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, notice what it says in verses 4 and 5. It says, love Suffers long, is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. That word, by the way, parade itself, means to brag about itself. Uh, is not puffed up. <coughs> does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. And it's this one here. It is not provoked. The word provoked means to be roused to anger. That's just what we've been talking about, you see. Is that love doesn't allow us to be roused to anger. And why is that? Why is it the fact that love doesn't allow us to be roused to anger? What, what makes that happen? How does that happen in my life? It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And if love is at work in my life, then it is an evidence that I am walking in the Spirit. And if I'm walking in the Spirit, it's an evidence I'm walking in the Word. See, it all works together. I can't have love without walking in the Spirit and walking in the Word. And I can't control anger unless I'm walking in the Spirit and walking in the Word and walking in love. And so here we go with the whole mind of Christ and what brought Christ down to earth to die for us. Let this mind be in you. was his love. His love. And it says in John, he loved them right to the end. Right to the end. 
the completing of the task he came. And so we, we have the mind of Christ, which is the mind of love. We have the spirit, which produces that love in us. So we can find victory over these mental attitudes. So we have mental madness we have to get rid of. The second thing we have here in the last word, in the last phrase, is what I call mouth mutilation. What do I mean by that? Well, you know, we can cripple and destroy people by what we say with our mouth. We can mutilate them completely. And it's, it's a sad thing, but if you've ever been around, and I have for a couple weeks, uh, uh, this happens so often even in the church what people say about other people that destroys them. I was, I was just uh, reading a note from a pastor who had a note from another pastor who made a stand during this COVID thing and he had been so attacked that he was so discouraged he wanted to leave the ministry. You see, you see, we, we have the tongue, the tongue we have to watch. The word, the word blasphemy there means verbal abuse or the worst type of slander you can bring. And, and one of the things that the devil wants to do in the body of Christ is bring slander get people turned against people, have them saying the right, wrong things at, at the wrong time, and we have a catastrophic problem in the church because we're saying the wrong things. And then the second thing there is what, what let me give you a little translation, a vile conversation out of the mouth of yours. A vile conversation out of the mouth of yours. In other words, something that is vile and evil that you're speaking. And, and it's so easy to do that. And it's so easy to do that, not only in the church, but out in the world. We can tear people apart out there in the world, too. See, we have to watch our... Our job, our job is to show them Christ not how we feel about things. I don't know about you, but I like, I like to tell them how I feel about things, you know. Uh, but that's not our job. Our job is to keep the thing under control with my tongue. So I want you to notice what happens here. If you're dealing with mental madness, then you're going to end up with mouth mutilation. The one comes from the other. Whatever's in your mind is going to flow from your lips. And I think someone has uh, put it uh, very well. You can only hold the lid on a boiling pot for so long. It's going to blow off. And if it's inside, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. And uh, James puts it this way. In James chapter 3, verses 5 through 11, he says, Even so, the tongue is 
a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. In other words, he says, does doesn't take, it only takes a match to burn down a forest. You know. Uh, he says, the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So the tongue is among, so is the tongue among our members that it defileth our whole body. It, it controls us and destroys us. It controls us and destroys us. And it's true of the body of Christ. If we don't watch our tongues, it can destroy the church. It says, And setteth on fire the course of nature. And what's the problem with the tongue? It says, It is set on fire by hell. That's why he's encouraging us to get rid of all the filthy rags of the past you see because that's where it comes from he says for every kind of beast and birds and serpents and things of the sea is tamed and he hath he hath been tamed of mankind but the tongue can no man tame it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison whereby we bless God even the Father, and therewith we curse men, which are made in the similitude or the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. He says, my brethren, these things ought not to be. These ought not to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same time sweet water and bitter? It's impossible. It's impossible. I want you to note the statement here, though, that he made. The tongue can no man tame. And that is true. An absolute truth. You can only hold your tongue for so long. And then, kaboom, <laughs> it explodes, you see. No man can tame it. No man can tame it. But God can. Christ can. And that's why we in Christ have put on these new garments. You see? Look at Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 6. This is a prophecy regarding Christ and his coming. And this is, this is the Messiah himself speaking in this prophecy. Notice what he says to begin. He says, the Lord hath given me the tongue of a learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. That's why we have to have the mind of Christ, you see. Because he's the one that has the tongue that knows how to speak. He waketh morning by morning. He waketh 
mine, uh, he waketh mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellion. And in this last uh, part of the chapter, you will really see how it refers to Christ. It says, Neither turned away my back from the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked out the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And so it's the Messiah speaking. He's saying, I, I, I have a tongue that was controlled by God. And he has that tongue. Again, let me just give you two, two verses from Proverbs. It says in Proverbs 12, 18, he says, There is that speaketh like the spirit piercing of a sword. In other words, some people's tongues cut you apart. Some people cut you apart. He says, but the tongue of the wise and only, only believers have wisdom. The tongue of the wise is health. It, it cures. It brings, it, it, it brings health to everything. And then in the 16th chapter of Proverbs, in verses 1 through 3, he says, The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth. By the way, that word in Hebrew, weigheth, has the idea that he morally evaluates. God morally evaluates the spirits, that is the seed of his emotion and will. So he says, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. So we have to walk in total commitment to Christ, so our thoughts can be properly established. And uh, it, it's something that is... Uh, uh, important for us so he says throw it off get rid of mental madness mouth mutilation get rid of it. that's that's the fourth command now I want to look at the fifth command which is found in verses 9 through 11 verses 9 through 11 and this almost seems like it's talking about the same thing that we have just been talking about and I'll explain that to you in a minute this free yourself from a foul tongue free yourself from a foul tongue notice what it says it says do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew nor circumcised nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, if you look at it at first, it seems to be following right on from the last two things. But let me point out that in verse 8, he's talking about just general attitudes we have everywhere to everything. 
And the distinction here is he's talking about how we operate in the body of Christ. Did you notice that? He says, he says, do not lie to what? One another. Who's the one another? The church. Those people that you are fellowshipping in the church. Don't lie to them. Don't even lie in your heart. Be honest and open. Now, uh, let, me, let me just say that sometimes people don't like honest and open. But we have to be honest and open. We can't lie. So, it says there that uh, uh, we are, let me give you a little translation. Do not speak falsely or deceitfully. Do not speak falsely or deceitfully. That's the command. Do not speak falsely or deceitfully. And you could actually translate it as do not have the habit of lying towards one another. Do not have the habit. Don't let that be what is controlling your life. The habit of lying one to another. And we have to be honest and open with each other. And uh, let me just say, sometimes we lie by not saying. Have you ever thought of that? We don't really, we don't really say what we're feeling and we say something that's the opposite, so we're lying to the person. And we have to really be careful here. We are not to make a habit of lying one towards another. Now, in that first statement there, I want you to notice three things that, and I want to state these positively, three things that we must do. Speak truth. That's the first thing. Don't lie. Speak truth. Speak truth. That's what we have to do. Speak truth. Second thing is change your habit regarding lying. Change your habit regarding lying. Stop it. Put on the brakes. Come to a full stop. Stop it. And then the third, and this is important, and it just grows out of the phrase there, respect the unity of the body. Respect the unity of the body. We have to respect everybody in the body of Christ and that we are all bound together and one of the great things we always wrestle with is that, did you ever notice in our church everybody has a different personality? How come everybody doesn't think like I do? You know? <laughs> uh, uh, we, 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 have to, we have to realize that God has created us all different. And so we accept whatever people are, wherever they are, even in their spiritual growth. If they're struggling, I still love them and I still care for them. And part of that loving and caring for them is helping them to grow. And when they're doing something wrong, I'm going to tell them, there's a problem here. Here's what you can do and here's how I can help you. 
You see, here's what God's word says. And, and so it, 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 something that has to do with uh, um, the unity of the body and working together and accepting everybody for who they are and what they are. Now, in verses, the second half of verse 9, right to the end of verse 11, he gives us the reasons why this should be happening in our lives. The reasons why this should be happening. He says, this should be happening, here's the reasons why. Here, here are the reasons why. And he, first of all, in uh, verse 9, uh, the second half of verse 9, and the first half of verse 10, talks about what I call the transfer. He talks about the transfer. Notice, he says, Since you have put off the old man and have put on the new man. That's the transfer that is taking place. You have put off the old man. Let me give you a little translation. Having already stripped off or divested yourself of the old. By the way, the old in, in, in the Greek there could also be tra translated ancient or the man of long time ago. The man of long time ago. The one with the filthy rags, you see. Uh, you, you have already stripped him off. Notice it says, have already stripped him off. You don't have to strip him off. He's already been stripped him off. Who stripped him off? Did you do it? No. It was Christ that did it. He stripped off that old man. And notice, he says, together with the performance that he performed. Together. In other words, when we were saved... He not only stripped off the old rags of dirt, but he stripped off all the actions that went with that dirty old rag. You see? And so uh, what, what he's telling us is that he stripped that off, and he says he also has put on, and, and that word put on, again, is a word to mean dressed up, God dressed us up in clothing. And he says to that was in the recently come to existence man. I, I, I like that translation because it's talking about something that I have just become in Christ. You see, I have just recently come to Christ. I was by nature what? A child of wrath. I was doing exactly what everybody else was doing out in the world. But now, just recently, God did something and he put took off my old clothes and he put on the new, new clothes. And so this recently made man uh, 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 is something. So 
Let me, let me just show you what he's talking about first. In this transfer, he's talking about rejecting the old, having already stripped off, divested yourself of these filthy garments. Paul states two things in that statement. He states that your attire has been changed and your attitudes have been changed. And one of the things that you and I need by the grace of God to be working on all the time is our changed attitudes. At least I, I know I do. Uh, um, maybe you're good at that, but uh, I, I know uh, we have to change our attitudes. And I want you to notice that that, that is something that God has already done for us. All we have to do, all we have to do is appropriate what God has done for us. And that's vital and important. Notice what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. He says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, and uh, uh, let me get back to my conditional clauses here. This is what is known as a third class conditional clause. And what it's saying is whatever, ha whatever I'm going to say after it's only to those who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, then you need to come to Christ. You need to come to know Christ so these things can be true about you. But otherwise they can't be true about you. So he says there, uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. Old things have passed away. Notice, old things, things of the past. By the way, the word old uh, in the Greek, if I, if I say it to you, it'll click right away. It's archaos. All the archaic things are gone. You see, all the old things, all the archaic things are gone. You see, uh, they, they're, they're, they, they, they have left us. And they, it says are, but it's better have passed away. Behold all things, and it says are become new, but it's the verb tense there is really all things are becoming new. It's a process that's going on in our lives. And it should be a constant process that is going on in our life. So what he's talking about is rejecting the old and letting this process go on in our life of being coming new, 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 because we have been clothed in a new garment, which is, as we'll see in a moment, the righteousness of Christ. And then he talks not only about rejecting the old, but receiving the new. He says, also have put on, and uh, again, that word put on is put on, it's used for dressing up, put on the clothes, the recently come into existent man. The new robe we have put on is Christ and his righteousness. That's the new robe that you and I have. 
I don't know about you, but I, that, that baffles my mind. How I could put on Christ and his righteousness, and I can't because God did it. I can't because God did it. It was the work of God. And uh, uh, so I have Christ and I have his imputed righteousness. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. By the way, I, I had the gentleman reading Ephesians 4 because I always call the book of Colossians the Reader's Digest condensed version of Ephesians. Same things are in there except Paul expands them more in, in Ephesians than he does in, in Colossians. In Ephesians 4, chapter verses 23 and 24, it says, <coughs> Be and be renewed, and the verb there indicates an ongoing process in which you are involved. An ongoing process in which you are involved. In the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man. And the verb there, again, put on, indicates a one-time complete action. And you could translate, you have put on the new man. You have put him on. And by the way, if you don't have the new man put on, you're not a believer. It's that simple and straightforward. He says, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, we don't always find those that righteousness and true holiness worked out in our lives because we're still in the flesh. And the flesh still has to be redeemed. And uh, as Paul says in Galatians, the flesh lusted against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. There's a constant battle going on. We got a big battle going on. But as Paul says in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors or we are super conquerors through Jesus Christ. And so we, we have the assured victory. And as he says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him to be, that is Christ, to be sin for us, or you can translate that on our behalf, who knew no sin in this was the purpose, why God made Christ sin, in order that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so you and I have the tremendous privilege, even though we struggle day by day, we are already righteous, and that is why we can worship and fellowship with God. If I wasn't righteous in my soul, my body hasn't been redeeming it, so I have a problem, I can sin. I don't have to, but I can, and I often do. Or at least I did once, you know. I mean, uh, 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 it's, not, uh, it's not like the Wesleyan holiness people say who, who, who believe in sinless perfection. They say, you can, you can live so you never sin. You might make a mistake, but you won't sin. 
I haven't figured out what the distinction is yet, but uh, uh, that's what their statement is. So we repudiate all the things of the past. And I want you to notice there are two things he talks about here that we repudiate. Notice what he says. He says that uh, uh, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, there are two things there that we repudiate. We repudiate the existence of. He says, out of which there does not exist. That's, that's a literal translation of what he's saying there. We, these things in your mind do not exist. One is racial distinction. Racial distinction. He says, Greeks, uh, the word is really in the original Hellenists. Uh, you will remember in the Acts where the church in, in, in uh, the book of Acts was having trouble with racial distinction. And uh, the Jewish uh, people were giving all, all their money, but they weren't taking care of the, the Hellenists, the Greeks. And so they had to get elders, I mean deacons, so that everything would be done properly, you see. And uh, uh, they, they had a problem, and uh, you will find that the mentality of Jewish Christians at the beginning was that Christianity uh, was a Jewish religion with a Jewish Messiah. It was a Jewish religion with a Jewish Messiah. And I think it's important, if, if you want to see how hard it is to change their minds, just look at Acts chapter 10. You remember the story where the sheets come down from heaven? God has to get Peter, he has to tell him three times, take and eat. Yeah. I'm a Jew, I wouldn't do that. But I'm the Lord, I'm talking to you. That phrase always baffles me. He says, not so. Then he says, Lord. <laughs> how, how, how can those two things go together? Not so, and then Lord. But he finally got the picture. But he was still concerned. If you notice, when he went to see the centurion, he took other Jews with him so they would be witnesses as to what happened. And uh, there, there was that problem, and it's also uh, evidenced in the next phrase, circumcision or uncircumcision. And uh, this dealt with the same issue. Uh, if you remember the fact that uh, in Acts 15, when they call, called the council of the church, it says there, and certain men came down from Judea, that is the Jewish Christians, and taught the brethren, and here's what they taught, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what they taught. Now, that's what the whole council was. That's the whole issue. And the council came up with the answer, um, 
None of that stuff. It's all by grace. It's all done by God. Doesn't matter. We cut out all racial distinctions here. And then he goes on and he talks about barbarians. By the way, just look at the whole book of Galatians deals with that whole issue. There were Jews who really felt you have to be a Jew to be a Christian and you have to become a Jew to become a Christian. And uh, uh, the word barbarian there means foreigner and Scythian is, is a term for nomadic tribes that used to travel around. And Paul says that in the body of Christ no racial distinction exists. No racial extinction exists. And then he says uh, in the last part there, slave or free, by the way that the, we, we have it uh, in, in our translation, slave, and that's the word, probably the best word for it, and the word slave means someone who is bound by a master who can't get free. And, uh, and then he talks about the free and the unfettered. And, and so we have, we have a problem of social distinction and racial distinction. And this has, this has been a, a prime problem in the church for years. I remember when I was, uh, came back from the mission field and uh, was talking with my pastor in New York City. And uh, uh, he, he, he said, uh, now you're going in the pastorate. I want, I want to tell you something. He says, don't go in and try to change the church. He said, just preach the word. The word of God changes the church. And he said, let me explain. He said, when, when I uh, uh, first came to Calvary, Baptist Church in New York City, he said, it was one of the greatest missionary churches you ever saw. But he said, I was flabbergasted when I got there because they would not take people with dark pigmented skin into membership in the church. Only white people. But they were a great missionary church. He said, so I said something to the board, and I thought, he said, I thought I was going to get crucified. And he said, I preached for six years. Then I brought up the issue again, and we were able to deal with it. He said, the word of God does it. And uh, all, all uh, um, racial and social distinctions are brought down in Jesus Christ. Everything, everything disappears. You know, James talks about the fact when, when two people come in, one's a rich man and he's got gold rings on, and the other's a poor guy in rags. He says, you get the rich man the best seat in the house. And he said, the other guy, you say, ah, just sit down here by my feet or just stand there in the corner, you know. Uh, and he says, this ought not to be. There shouldn't be any social distinctions in the church. 
and I think it's important for us to understand it. And then I want to just close quickly here because Paul gives us the reasons, and I think this is important. He gives us two reasons. The first reason is Christ's personal fullness. Notice what he says there. He says, Christ is all. Christ is all. Or you could translate that Christ is everything. Everything you need is Christ. You don't need anything else. Everything you need is the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got everything you need in him. And that's why, that's why social distinctions and racial distinctions have no place in the church because Christ is everything you are and everything you need. And you see everybody in the body in Jesus Christ. And, and then the second reason he gives is that uh, 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 there is a Christ personal presence in us. Notice, and in all, or you can translate that also in each one. So every believer has the fullness of Christ. And, and I like the way he puts that. He first talks about the fullness of Christ. And then he says, every believer has Christ in him. So every believer has the fullness of Christ. And therefore, we can deal with all these problems that we've been talking about. Why? Because we're good, determined people? No, because we have the fullness of Christ. You see, we have everything we need in Christ. And... The great phrase, uh, verse in John 17, 23, where Jesus says, I in them and you in me. Why? In order that they may be made perfect or complete in one. We all have the same attitude. You see? How do we get those? Because... Christ is in us and God is in us and the Holy Spirit is in us. We have an indwelling triune God in us and therefore we can and should have the right attitudes. And he gives also that the world may know. Did you get that? That the world may know. Our witness to the world is how we live together as the body of Christ. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. And I, I, I've heard it all. I've been, I've been around for a couple of weeks and I've heard it all over the place. You know, why would I want to be a Christian? You're always fighting. You're always fighting. And he says, no, no, no. No, no. What God has done, what God has done is he's come to dwell in us so that the world may know that we are all together and we are complete and perfect in one body and that witness to the world will affect the world that we live in. And so we are called, we are called 
by the grace of God to be the people of God living in the power of the presence of Christ within us by the word of God through the Holy Spirit. You see? And so when we are being taught the word of God, it is not just to accumulate, accumulate knowledge, but it is information for transformation. And that's why Pastor Tony says, we're not interested in a big church, but a holy church. We give the information so that we can become one and find transformation in our lives. And by the grace of God and by his working in us, I trust that's what's going to happen in our lives as a body, as a church. As Pastor Tony returns and begins his uh, continuing teaching and direction, may we become a holy church more like Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you not only challenge us to all of these things, but you equip us to accomplish them. Thank you for the grace that has made this possible. And thank you for your great love. Thank you for this time together. Bless us as we go our ways, Lord. May we know your grace and love. In Jesus' name, amen.